This is Coda Radio, episode 182 for December 7th, 2015. Welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technology. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this year's show goes on me. Well, my name is Chris, but joining us every single week is our host over there on the East Coast, ready to go with a beer in his hand. Why, yes, folks, it's Mr. Michael Dominic. Hey there, Michael. Oh, boy. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, it is the season. It is the holiday season. And as such, I have a little holiday cheer, Mr. Dominic. You have a little holiday cheer yourself. I do indeed. Hang on. I'm pouring a beer into the microphone. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Make sure that's, uh, that's good. Effect. Good effect. Pos- yeah, right there. Get it in there. It's good podcasting technique. It's uh, theater of the mind. So uh, what it, before we get into the, the really vin- vindictive episode we have today... <laughs> Um, what what beer did you bring to the table? All right, so you know, uh, you suggested like a Sam Adams seasonal, which was real solid to me, and I figured it'd be easy to get on the West Andes right. coast. So I thought that was a pretty good recommendation on your part. Uh, but the place I went to was the only thing they sold was just regular Sam Adams Boston Lager, no really? holiday variety. Really? So I did get a six pack of that just in case I need a backup beer. You know, I need okay. you know because I don't want to put all my uh, beer eggs in one beer basket. Of course, of course. So I decided to, but for the for the Coda Radio holiday season, I decided to get myself a real big sob here, uh, a Pyramid Snowcap Winter Warmer. They call it the Winter Warmer Ale. It has a uh, it has a uh, APV of seven percent. It's one pint, six fluid ounces, and because it's so big, it feels it feels good in the hand. It feels oh, real good. It? Yeah, yeah. It's got a good hand feel. As they all say. right. So, and how's that going for you? I hate it. I do not like okay. it. I mean, well, it might have been because I pre during the pre show I was drinking the Boston Lager to kind of just you know sure, sure. save the the winter ale, and so now I went from a a, yeah, a real stereotypical like. Uh, Here's a lager, yeah, and uh, and it's just nothing, nothing surprising. That thing is that thing is a dialed in lager, uh, an American lager. Like you just yeah. nothing really to write home about, but nothing to complain about. And so I went from that uh, to this, which is an extremely pungent beer um, with you know a much higher APV because the uh, Boston Lager is only four percent, where this is seven percent. So it's got a, it's got just a lot more in your mouth, and so I just it's like after a while you brush your teeth and you drink orange juice. Mm. So what are you drinking, sir? Well, I have the Sam Adams Irish Red. Ooh. Um, it is a 5.8% by volume. It's an ale. Um, it's trying to be like an Irish Red Ale. Let me take another sip here yeah. before, I, before I judge it too hard. Mine's not so bad if I chug a lug it. It's when Mine's I just – yeah, it's when it, I sip it. it. It's not bad. But if you've ever had like a Killian's Red or really any other like real Irish Red Ale, uh, you're going to quickly realize that this does not succeed at that. Yeah. It does succeed at being a decent beer. Like, it is okay. I would totally drink this again. But it is not what they claim. Let me just read you the bottle, and none of this is true. Um, hearty and comforting with a roasty sweetness, earthy and earthy <laughs> English hops. I mean, it tastes like O'Dale, yeah. right? It, it, but it doesn't, it doesn't have, like, it's not particularly hoppy. Um, I, I don't know where they're getting sweet from unless I just happen to pick a bad bottle out of the, no, uh, out no. of the pack here. Right, no. I mean. But again, it you know that's the thing with Sam Adams, right? It is always okay. 
you know, mine doesn't have a nice story. Mine just says, according to the Surgeon General, women should not drink alcohol beverages during pregnancy. That's oh, a mine good has tip. All kinds of stuff on here. That's and, a good and tip. Samuel Adams himself is raising a glass to me. Hmm. Although so. this was uh, this was uh, bottled here in uh, Seattle or Portland, it says. So there's something oh, to that. Oh, that's hipster beer. That's, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, there you go. There you go. Well, uh, Mr. Dominic, I have a couple other unofficial items that maybe we could get into since it is, uh, you know, the, the holiday season around here. Uh, so every now and then uh, there's an elf going around the Jupiter Broadcasting website and dropping a link in shows for swag, for free swag. And I, I, there's a rumor going around this might be one of those episodes, 182 of Coda Radio. You might just find a swag link in the show notes. And if you have a successful Patreon payment in the month of November or maybe even in December, uh, you'll be entered to win some free swag. We just sent out some swag for the Linux Action Show. Now, there is some really good stuff. Uh, no joke. Ange actually set up a Christmas tree in the studio for real, and she wrapped all the different swag items under the Christmas tree because she's all in on this. She loves it. She's like, a, she's, like a, she's like a swag elf herself. And so we have a Christmas tree now in the Jupiter Broadcasting Studio with different swag items underneath it that we'll be unwrapping and giving away. And this morning, uh, she just unwrapped and gave away a really nice. It's you can't quite see it in the picture, but it is a it is a solid glass lass toaster. It's a glass toaster. Get it? It's a toaster for your beer. It. It's a coaster uh, for yeah, your beer. A coaster for your beer. Yeah. yeah, it's a glass coaster. Yeah, there you go. Oh, uh, and it's really, really nice. Good. It's it's a nice thick glass, and uh, it's yeah. So that was some one of the swags that just got unwrapped today. Damn. So that's pretty now, cool. Now, are are you selling these as well or no? Nope, just giving them away. We just have the link in the show notes. Uh, well, we do have totally we do sell. have up for sale right now uh, the uh, last jacket. It's returned Ooh. and it's uh, it's over on Sunday at uh, really? teespring dot com slash last us. Get the jacket. I need I need to go check that because it is uh, it has finally gotten cold. Yeah, I know, here. right? I know. So you've had a busy day. Anything you want to share with the audience before we move on? I mean, you know, we don't uh, have to. But let's just say another developer is joining the ranks. Yeah. <laughs> Come then, April. No, really, we're going to do this now? So, like, uh, let's see. Mr. Dominic is compiling a new set of code. Let's see. Or his wife, is, his wife is, actually. <laughs> he had to do a, a, uh, a Git merge. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. It, oh, this is going to get so weird. Oh, a no. request of sorts. No. <laughs> but, but, yes, there is a uh, another God-willing, not Swift developer coming. Congratulations. Uh, and uh, rumor has it, a boy at that. Which is very exciting. I was not going to say that, but yes. Oh, okay. Well, well I'm sorry well, about that. Uh, my yes, first, my first yes. was a uh, boy, and let me tell you, it's very exciting. It is very yes, exciting. Yes, it is. Now he's doing uh, doing April, so we're 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 pretty much halfway there. Now, uh, uh, are you are you starting to freak out at all about the uh, about like all the stuff you have to get? Because you know you are up no. against Christmas, and then right after that, you got to start buying stuff. It's going to be tight well, on the budget. And our and our anniversary is uh, uh, mid April, and the baby's due the end of April. So Ooh, financially, wow. it's going to be a disaster. That's a hell of an anniversary gift, though. Yeah, it is indeed. She's a trooper. Well, congratulations, Mister Dominic, and uh, I send best wishes to you and the wife. And uh, when April, we'll all be uh, looking forward for good news. Yeah, so I'm already picking out Baby's First Arduino board. Right. And let's not forget the old educational distro, Ubuntu. I forgot the name of the spin. You know, you know what else? You know what else you have to consider is like uh, what, what language are you going to start with, right? All these things now. You've got to wait probably at least till they're two. But uh, something to consider. No, no, they have blocks. Oh, good, they good. Have, they, have, they have, like, blocks for babies that teach programming. There's, like, a little if block. I swear, I, I, you can order them online. I love it. I love it. You know, you know who else is a big fan of developers? That Mr. Steve Ballmer 
at Ooh. Mr. Steve Ballmer, uh, and he has a few things to say. Oh, he's got a lot to say. He has a, a few. Th- yeah, he does. So, uh, Microsoft held their first annual—not their first. I don't know. I don't know why I said that. They've just been lying for twenty years. <laughs> well, according to Ballmer, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Uh, so, Microsoft held an annual shareholder meeting, leaving one significant Microsoft shareholder uh, to complain. That would be Mr. Ballmer. Uh, it seems to be that he's not happy with the way they report their financial performance, uh, both on their hardware business and on the cloud business. And uh, I don't know if maybe he's just feeling like it's his place to say now or what, but uh, he says it's because the company hasn't been disclosing profit margins or sales figures by for either business. What they're saying, according to Bomber, is they're they're just they're giving you a key metric of revenue that is more. Well, it's more of how they could be doing. So rather than reporting the exact figures of what they're earning, Microsoft has reported it's annualized its revenue run rate, a hypothetical value that describes what the company's revenue would be if the current level of sales were sustained over the full year. Balmer's view on the run, run rate, he says it's bullshit. Quote directly from Balmer. He says they should report the revenue, not the run rate. Uh, now, Nadella was asked about the lack of major application for Windows Phone, by the way. And uh, he says, no, look, we have a great universal app strategy. Bomber comes back and says, won't work. He says they need to get Android apps around on Windows 10 Mobile. Was developed just to enable this, but appears they've sidelined it for no clear reasons, he says. So two big things here, Mike, and I'm curious what you think about with... So we've talked – and the reason why I brought this up is because we've talked a lot about in the last three, four months uh, about Microsoft's shift to Azure, the, the strategy they're building there, the fact that they seem to be embracing more and more open source in order to sort of move that platform forward. But when you actually look at it, maybe it's not as successful as they've led us to believe because you can have a lot of different people on Azure for different reasons and a lot of them can have free – Free tiers, free credits. Yeah, credits is what I was going to say. Microsoft exchanges credits in a lot of cases for different businesses when they come in. So can I, can I fry some conspiracy bacon? Ooh, do you want – I got some bacon right here. here yeah. I'll throw it on for you, buddy. Yeah. Oh, there it is. Mmm, juicy. So Balmer was always really bad at, like, making Microsoft sexy but really good at making a ton of freaking money. And I'm wondering if he, knowing the business better than probably anyone listening to this, isn't totally aware of what, you know – Maybe Nadella's doing a better job at making Microsoft, quote, relevant in the zeitgeist. And even then, I would probably say that that's not worth Oh, so anything. you think this is more about protecting his legacy? Like, well, no, yeah, I this think, n- no, no, I think, I think he sees through the bullshit, actually. I think because he, he was, two years ago, it was him. He knows what the numbers ought to be, right? And he knows what it costs to run these services. And he knows if they were really good, they would be promoting them. Right, and, he, and he, this is the kind of nonsense that, he, like, you know, even, like, Listen to Paul Therod on this, uh, the Microsoft reporting stuff. They have a really sneaky way of hiding things, right, of hiding losses. And Bing straight up lost millions of dollars for how many years? Yeah, right. And then they just just sort of folded it it into something else. Yes, yes. Put it in a division that made money so it wouldn't look so bad. Um, I don't see a lot of of the comments, a lot of the online kind of – you know, journalistic uh, response to this has been a little negative on Bomber. Sure, he's probably pissed, right? That or bitter is sort of the spin, right? He's also like a 10% shareholder in a major company. So he, you know, hurting Microsoft is not in his interest. Um, you know, what else is not in his interest, though? Someone spending their way to become relevant again, right? 
he's a major shareholder in a way that's his money. And I could definitely, definitely see Ballmer saying, what are you doing? You're spending all this money trying to popularize Azure. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you know, what is top line revenue, right? What is profit at the end of the year? They don't really share. So what does Balmer gain, though, by coming out oh, there? Just, just throw one more thing at you. Okay. I am not a CPA or a lawyer, yeah. but I can tell you from experience, if you give the IRS an answer like Nadella gave Balmer, you go to freaking jail or get audited first. Yeah, that is peculiar, that reporting that particular that, metric. And the fact that nobody's been reporting on that in the media is well, also kind of peculiar. The fact that they're a, la- they're a public company, the fact that that was somehow acceptable. Yeah. The SEC didn't say, I'm sorry, we need, just like you know, every other company in the world, I need revenue, expenses, profit. Right, you can jerry-rig that any way you want. So, but but, but long term yeah. here, you think you think Balmer's motivation is just to protect his revenue as a shareholder? I think it's financial. I mean, there's probably some ego in there too, but ultimately, I think it comes down to all right. One, you know, he. I've always felt Balmer got blamed for things that weren't necessarily his fault. Right. Um, I don't think his tenure was as bad as as you know the Verge might have you think. You know, if the goal of a business is to make money, he was fantastic. Um, if the goal of a business is to have a charismatic, popular CEO who is great to write, you know, human interest stories about, then Nadella is far better. Uh, the problem is, is Nadella really turning the types of profits that Balmer used to turn? And I don't understand why we can't just see the figures. Why can't, like every other public company, they file the papers with you know, accepted accounting, no voodoo, no bullshit, and say, and that's what, and the, that, that bullshit word is Balmer's word, not mine, right? Right. And say, well, actually, is Nadella doing as well as Balmer was? And if he's doing better, great. And if he's doing worse, okay, but is there some other soft benefit that he's gained that would justify the financial loss? I mean, you know, let's call a spade a spade. The only reason he's not shouting from the rooftops how much money they're making is because they're probably not making that much more. Mm-hmm. Or I agree. I agree. There's either no growth or contracted growth, right? So here's uh, here's it. It is. It, I observe a very interesting trend doing these shows for as long as I have now, and I want to talk to you about it for a second because it's 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 almost like. It's almost like the press can't write anything bad about Satya Nadella, so they waited for Balmer to write yep. it and, yep. or to say it, and then they all wrote it. So the, this one of the pieces that you tweeted at me over the weekend, uh, it basically talks – the author is like, well, now that Balmer's saying this, I can say this too. In fact, he says uh, – he's full disclosure, Balmer's complaints echo complaints I have made about Microsoft during Nadella era, so I'm perhaps not the most dispassionate observer here. Now all of a sudden – now all of a sudden it's okay to say it. Now Paul Thorat has been one guy that's actually been saying this all along. He's had but the balls to do it, right? None of the other journalists have, and it's something interesting that I've I've noticed a trend in the tech industry that when a new CEO comes in, in in most cases, not always, but in most cases, uh, when it's a, when it's a rock star CEO, they can do no wrong. They are going to change that company. Yep. They're going to bring revolution, like Sache is right now to Microsoft. Right? Did you say Marissa Mayer? Exactly what I was just going mean, to say. She, she's done nothing. In fact, she's probably somehow Yahoo Yahoo Inc. is worth negative money. Yeah, the, the stock of Yahoo, if you add it all together, 
is worth less than their share of Alibaba is worth. Mathematically, so, that makes no sense. And now, now you are seeing tons and tons of press about Marissa Meyer's severance package or scrutiny on Marissa Meyer grows more intense. This is a cycle that the press yep. goes through. If you rewind to when she went to Yahoo, it was article after article. She was on the co- she was on the cover well, she, of magazines. Let's be fair though, right there. The time, and I don't want to hit this too hard because this show has intentionally avoided this kind of conversation. But when Nadella and Mayer came up uh, to be the respective CEOs of uh, of Microsoft and Yahoo, was right in the middle of the whole diversity and and women in tech kind of let's just call it the brouhaha, right? So, you know, I it was perfect timing for them. It was a great story. I mean, if you're a PR guy. That is the perfect time to have them. Now I'm starting to see that kind of fall away a little bit. But I would even challenge, you know, if if Steve Ballmer got hired instead of Marissa Mayer as CEO of Yahoo, would he have been given five years to to, to screw up? Oh, and throw a two million dollar um, or what was it, seven million dollar uh, Wizard of Oz photo shoot? Did you hear about that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, no one, you know, there's there's, there's definitely some. Uh, double standard and this is a dangerous topic so i'm going to walk away from it because this is what we call a career killer yeah i follow you i just what i what i want to double back on here is i think that perhaps uh this is sort of the issue we face in the sense that the press is the press is not reporting on nadella doing something a little sneaky because right now the narrative is he's changing microsoft cloud is the future azure is the future of microsoft microsoft is having success in the cloud and it's all because of satya nadella and if all of a sudden you wrote you know they might actually not be making that much money or they're not making nearly as much what they're reporting is money they would be making if everyone on the service was paying full price that's the number they're reporting not what they're actually getting paid and and we're not talking about that because it doesn't fit the narrative of the cloud is the future azure is the future microsoft has success with azure and adela is leading all of that it doesn't fit that narrative so we don't talk about it so when balmer comes out and talks about it now all of a sudden the press has an excuse to write about it i think that's i mean that's so you think it's just I mean, see, I think we have a slightly different take. I think it's fear, right? I, I, I really think it's, you know, there's, there are certain things that a journalist could do that would be very dangerous for his or her career. Right. Right now, they want access to Sache because he's the hot right. story. So if they write bad things about him, they get their access cut off. They get access, right. In um, fact, this story gets them more access because this sort of spurs Nadella to come out and say something and give somebody else another story. It's the perfect thing. It's... <sighs> It's all, and you know what? Though Bomber makes a good point. Which is, I wonder how many times we'll be saying that uh, down the road. You know what? Bomber has a good point. That could be a, that could become a new catchphrase. Besides, developers, 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 as we well know. I don't know any other thoughts on this, Mr. Dominic. No, I mean, I think it's you know, it's a conversation worth having for somebody else who is not either of us. <laughs> there you go. All right. I are in the worst position, so let's just move away. All right, so let me tell you about yeah. something that is in the cloud and is legit. That's DigitalOcean. They're a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way for you to spin up your own cloud server. This is a really great way to get a project up for testing or for production or really build some back-end infrastructure. You can get started in less than 55 seconds, and the pricing plan started only $5 a month. And if you use our promo code, code or digital. 
Coder Digital will give you a credit for two months, and you can try it out absolutely free. Like, we got an email in from Patrick. Uh, Patrick did this. He says, hello, I'm a teenager in high school, and this show has inspired me to get my toes wet in some development. I recently created a DigitalOcean droplet, using your promo code, of course, and I spun up a website to track matching band scores in Fl- – or I'm sorry, uh, he probably meant marching, but he said matching band scores in Florida. It says, you can see the site at floridamarching.org. That's pretty cool. I was surprised at how easy it was to get the server up and running, as I have no prior experience in this. And, of course, the promo code gave me two months of service, which is perfect for marching band season. Thanks again, Patrick. DigitalOcean.com. Use our promo code. You can get you get the two-month credit. You can try to rig two months for free. It's Coder Digital. It's a really great system. They have data centers in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, Germany, Toronto, and, I mean, data centers. They have a great, simple, intuitive control panel that is very powerful, allows you to deploy applications. If you have very little experience or if you have years of experience, you're going to appreciate things about DigitalOcean and their fantastic API. So use the promo code Coder Digital to support this show and keep it going. Remember, they have fantastic tutorials, a lot of good open code already written for you to take advantage of. You really, you're going to be impressed with the range they've managed to strike here. And they have some great distributions for you to choose, like CentOS, CoreOS, Debian, Ubuntu, Fedora, and FreeBSD, one-click deployment of great open-source applications. Really, have you been thinking about GitLab? Why not try it out for a couple of months for free? Use the promo code CoderDigital and do it. Go to DigitalOcean.com, play with a Docker image, and send it up there. I'm telling you, it rocks. DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code CoderDigital. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder of Radio program. Now, last week on this show... On Monday, we said a few mm-hmm. things about Swift. Like, we don't really know when it's going to be open source. We don't know if they're going to – they said the end of 2015. Well, guess what? It's the end Bam, of 2015. Tuesday. Where is it? Then, yeah, Tuesday, code drops, Swift.org. Swift is now open source, just like that. Uh, yeah, and uh, I, I, I had a summary. I had a quick summary here I wanted to read to you before we get into it. But uh, it's Apache 2.0 licensed, has full standard and core libraries included – plus the compiler, plus copyright owned by the contributor, no CLA, good community structure and uh, documentation already in place, plus a code of conduct, good to go. By the end of the week, that's all. By Really, by the end of Tuesday, that was all in place. Uh, kind of, kind of, they kind of, they kind of, well, some people say they kind of nailed it. The yeah, love is ridiculous online. Do you have any first reactions? I was feeling the love too. Really? What was it? What was it that you were loving specifically? Well, the fact that it's on GitHub was. <laughs> yeah. That's really all I cared about. Yeah, yeah. Not um, like on like some Apple website where it will rock. Yeah, some like weird SVN thing. Yeah. Yeah. So this guy says on his blog, not only is Swift on uh, GitHub, which some people thought was going to be open source at Apple.com, but the Swift team will be working completely in the open. Apple, Apple did a spectacular job with the release. Not only do we have the full source code. But we have in the entire commit history, which I linked to the first commit in the show notes, for each project and a very detailed view into Swift's team's development process and access to the Swift evolution process. And everything you, you need to know is on Swift.org. First uh, commitment was on July 17th, 2010. Swift repo surpassed 10,000 stars in the first 24 hours and now has over 19,000 stars and 2,000 forks as of this blog post. It uh, has uh, over 400 pull requests across all the repos. And uh, uh, there is um, some interesting things in there. Uh, like uh, there are some people – there is uh, like some crash 
some crash dump histories that have been submitted by uh, other people that are included in there, uh, comments that are in there. Swift compiler crash is the one I'm talking about. Um, you can see hints of what's coming down, like type alias will be replaced with associated. Um, yeah, I guess they've already been uh, – they. Uh, Jacob Banders Soch, I think is how you say him, submitted two pull requests that fixed a total of 400 crashes already. Uh, and the Swift, the Swift team seems like they've been very good at actually taking in even really small contributions. So uh, my initial reaction is, is like actually way more impressed than I expected to be uh, when we recorded yeah, the episode last week. they did this week. the right way. And really a lot of strong Linux support and server-side support too. So now – going to go totally back on last week's episode i if ibm is really willing to work with them on this they may finally be able to put the stake in the vampire that is web objects this heart yeah yeah i, I, I so. could see that too i could see that yeah i could definitely see that um and now i i i, I want to talk to you about something that i mentioned in last but i haven't heard anybody else really talk about and it kind of seems like the maybe the biggest one of the biggest sub-stories of this release. Um, you kind of just hinted at it. Swift open source is available for Mac OS and Ubuntu. Ubuntu 14.04 and 15.10, yep. I believe. They're like the most current version of Ubuntu and the most yep. current LTS. LTS, right. Not even source code for Windows. Nothing for Windows. Not even... And then when they were asked about it, they're like, oh, well, if the community wants to you know, make a port or something, that's fine. Well, I mean, Windows is such, and it's such a non-story, Mike, that nobody even mentioned. Yeah, it. I mean, what's the story here? That the developers that are likely to take an interest in Swift are not going to be running Windows. Windows Server isn't a thing on you know data centers and organizations all over the country and world that have iPhones uh, and uh, iPads. I, I mean, have I think not, I have not seen too many scenarios where where like people in the mobile space have had to deal with Windows Server. I'm not directly. surprised that Apple didn't do it. What I'm surprised is is that to me it seems like it seems like a statement of how irrelevant Windows is as a developer platform. Well, I think that's a well, whoa whoa whoa. <laughs> I see what you did there. It, irrelevant to Apple. Sure. Irrelevant well, to IBM. Yes. Irrelevant to people who'd be writing Swift 100%. I don't know irrelevant. if I agree with you on that. So you you're you're just saying blanket. I think once Windows it, is irrelevant for developers. No, I'm not saying that. <laughs> oh, I'm okay. saying Apple is saying that, and every other every other person out there who failed to report on the fact that there's no Windows build is saying that. I, it, it is it, what I'm saying is it, here's why it's noteworthy to me, Mike, is because I have lived in a world my entire life where sh- software shipping for Windows and not shipping for Linux or Mac is just the norm. That's standard. It doesn't even, it's not even newsworthy that there's not a Linux version or a Mac version. I'm familiar with this world. And now that world has just flipped around and there is an Ubuntu version and there is a Mac version and there is no Windows version and it's so unnoteworthy that nobody's even talking about it. And I don't, I don't, and I agree it is a huge part because Swift is not, does not directly overlay with the target audience of, of Windows. I think if you ask the Microsoft team that built the Surface Book and Windows 10 and that wants Windows to be a relevant platform, I think they would disagree with you very strongly. They want anything that people might be working on for web technologies to be usable under Windows. They want Windows to be able to be the front end and the back end for that. And this is a huge area for them. And this is a major oversight. The, the whole point of the new Surface Book is to make it. I, okay. But, okay. Do you not see, you, not, you, don't see what, you don't see what a statement this is? 
I don't, I think it's, I mean, I think you're putting words in their mouth that may be true, but it's certainly a statement of limited time equals dropping the least relevant platform. Um, but <laughs> yeah, you, and you just, you just said it, the least relevant platform. Right. But you know who will definitely make it work on Windows hmm. and, or more particularly Azure? Microsoft. So why not have Microsoft waste their time doing this, right? Waste their employees' time, waste yeah. payroll. Waste well, and resources. I guess you know when you really make, when you make it a legit open source project, yeah, that Cessna's can happen. Got it right. Swift is open source. Let MS port it. Yeah, and it, it is legit. It's up on GitHub. It's Apache 2.0. Right. So Microsoft's likely to be willing to touch it. They retain copyright ownership too. So again, Microsoft's likely to be willing to touch it. My, Apple set this up in a way to make that as possible for Microsoft to do as they could. Now we'll have to see if Microsoft does no, it. it. It's possible, right? That, and I don't want to fuel your your fire too much here because you know Satya would stab me in the heart. That Apple just didn't even have Microsoft on the damn radar, right? That there was no intentional slight here. That you know, most iOS apps, I would be willing to bet any amount of money are talking to some sort of Linux or Unix-based backends, right? It could even be crazy-ass BSD if you want. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you until we start talking enterprise and we start talking about deals with IBM and IBM getting but, but iOS IBM devices. IBM is not going to be selling them Windows solutions. I wouldn't be so sure about that. I would be relatively sure. But, okay, I mean, hmm. I mean, taking to your logical con- conclusion, your argument is that Apple is, like, basically putting their their stamp of irrelevancy on Windows now. They're saying, you know, Microsoft is kind of out of the game. No, I'm not saying that. No, my, actually my point is, is I'm not too surprised that Apple did it. What is surprising to me is that it's just such a non-story and that nobody... Well, I mean, you know, the other open source thing that someone mentioned in the chat this week was the Edge browser for Microsoft. Yeah, the JavaScript engine, right? Mm, it's too bad it's not going to matter. <laughs> Listen to you! Bam! Wow. Oh, my God. This is not where I wanted this to go. My point was not to hate on Microsoft. Neither is mine, right? The the point is that I think this is actually more about Google is where where I was going to go with this. Swift on the server with IBM collaboration is going to be an answer to go. Um, And remember, who knows how much Apple does or doesn't care about Swift on the server, right? That all remains to be seen. The other thing here is that you know, it's pretty telling that Microsoft open sourced the the uh, their JavaScript engine, and w- there's not a whole lot of ink about that. Oh, the other thing would be, I mean, hasn't V8 slash Chrome gotten like a Windows? Uh, I'm sorry, Internet Explorer six style monopoly at this point? No, not not like the old battle days, but they do have an impressive market share. Yeah, Imp- impressive. Imp- I'll give you impressive. I mean, between let's just broadly say WebKit and WebKit related. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, WebKit. Then, then, the, then it's like ninety percent, really. Um, maybe maybe I'm coming to your side. Do they matter anymore? And maybe just to go full circle here, is that what Balmer's not saying? Maybe you know everybody. I know we're gonna get hate mail because I was hard on uh, everybody's golden girl Marissa Mayer, who I love by the way, uh, and Satya Nadella, who I like a bit less, but. Maybe all these trade-offs that Nadella's making haven't paid off. Did anybody think of that? Well, I mean, where, where is the developer mindshare? There, that is definitely that. De- that definitely hasn't paid off. No, I mean, I, I think what we what we think what I speculate where it's paid off is on-premises 
installations of of Microsoft Active Directory and Exchange and and uh, uh, wait, wait, wait. Dynamics. You think you think this Azure strategy has increased on-prem installations? No, I think that's where I would imagine a lot of their loss has been from that. If people are they're they're picking up people that are maybe moving from like SQL on premises to SQL in the cloud, and they're building you know people are building now on Azure instead of building on premises. All right, so let, let's let's take our time machines back to the nineties for a minute. Oh, I, I have a time machine, but okay, let's, all right, let's do it. Are you, I don't know. Actually, I think I don't. I don't know. Well, let me see. Do time you remember machine? Let's see if I can find it. I don't know if I can find it. Or, or even the early two thousands, if we don't want to go that far. You know, and you don't mean the backup software. Oh no, you do not mean oh, the no, backup no, no, no. software. No. I mean Orson. What not Orson? Yeah, Orson <laughs> Well style. Let's get in the time machine. Oh, yeah, with uh, a big old clock on the back. <laughs> a little big old clock. Remember going somewhere, and maybe maybe the '90s is a little too early, but early 2000s, going into a business and trying to sell them not Microsoft technology. Oh yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Of course, I remember that. Was remember cool. when v- VBA was a buzzword? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. SQL. Mm-hmm. 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 Now, yeah. I, can can you not see a world where, you know, you know, a lot of companies still have the developers report to IT, which is, by the way, the cruelest thing you could possibly do, because um, IT people are just awful. Yeah, except for developers are crazy and they'll just do anything if you don't developers keep them are checked amazing. in. Just you gotta, you gotta, you gotta check in on them or else they'll just run crazy. But how much easier <laughs> is it for that IT manager to be like, "All I need to hire for is Swift"? Because it reminds me of the "All I need to hire for is uh, Basic or ASP." And with IBM, your friendly neighborhood IBM rep coming in and selling you whatever the hell kind of services or servers he's selling you. Does this not all kind of come together to trying to create? You know, I, a, a much weaker version of the Microsoft lock from the nineties. I don't, I don't, I don't feel like, I don't feel like Apple really has any chance of success. Oh no, brewing from the enterprise in. There's, it's, it's I not think work. enterprises inherently don't trust Apple because Apple is secretive about their release cadence, about security updates, about there's so much information that Apple sits on that as an enterprise you need for predictability that makes them risky. But if enough of your user base, and you know not just your user base, but the important user base, like the like the the decision makers or the people that you need to hire and you want incentivized to work for you, if they come on board and they say. I want a MacBook and I want an iPhone and I want to develop in Swift. Or, you know what legitimately happens a lot too? I want a Linux laptop. That's what I did and that's what a lot of people in our audience have done. They come in and say, I'll work here, but you have to give me a Linux computer. Uh, that's becoming more and more common. And when it starts, when Swift reaches that point, I think that's really where it could fill that gap and where the enterprise goes, well, we could just go Swift all across the board. That could definitely be a possibility. But to get there, you would need sort of a ground. I mean, a grassroots sort of swelling of support where people are building cool open source projects on Swift and the Linux development side is really, uh, really proving to be something that you can you could actually bet on and ship something on. And it's probably going to take till Swift three before we're even at that, you know, real kind of even that point where people will be where it could actually take off. I think right now Swift is still too early. Uh, You know, there's big there's still big changes coming to Swift and people don't trust Apple not to completely break things in order to Mm -hmm. embrace the next thing that they might need in the next version. So I think that's got to work out for a little bit too. Adam. (sighs) You know what what was popular amongst the audience about Swift? What's that? The package Emoji? manager. No, oh, the Swift package manager is a tool for managing uh, yeah. the distribution of Swift code. It's integrated with the Swift build system to automate the process of downloading, yes. compiling, compiling, and linking dependencies. Not unheard of, but uh, you know what? A decent, nice feature to have that's a little more mature so, than... 
the real story here, though, we, I mean, for some reason, you and I woke up on the we hate Microsoft side of the bed again this morning. Um, you know what this means for me, though, right, Chris? It means Swift's not going to go the way of Coco Java. Oh, yeah. For open it's, it's, it's not going. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's on. It's, it's the genie's here. out of the bottle now, isn't it? Yeah, it's too late. My Ooh. hopes of my my hopes of a little cradle death syndrome for Swift are 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 not going to happen. There's no putting this one back. Apple can't put this away. No, it's and I don't think they want to, right? But those of us who might have preferred a world without it. <laughs> and what stuff. are your thoughts on that? So, I've been secretly toying with Swift. Not so secretly since I've mentioned it at least a dozen times on the show. And on uh, Twitter. And on Twitter. You know, I go through different stages of disgust slash, okay, well, that makes sense. Right now, I'm in love with the guard keyword, which is a really stupid thing to like. But uh, for those who don't know, a guard is basically if not. So it's like guard, object is null or whatever, mm. right? Because that's a pretty common pattern, right? You just got to make sure something isn't null. Super common in Objective-C. But I still how can I say this on a greenfield project where you're going from file new, I would, I would be willing to say, assuming now with Swift two, yeah, go ahead and use Swift. I would probably use Swift two now, but really anything that is already written or you need to tie into existing code. I still don't think that bridging is good enough. And I really, really don't, I should, I want to walk this back a little bit. I would not be super willing to take, you know, let's say if Mercedes-Benz hired Buccaneer to do an app. I'm not sure that I would, you know, make that or project a Swift project. Because there's a, I don't know, I, I like my programming languages like I like my scotch. Old enough to order its own scotch. Um, yeah. And, and of course, you know, but then again, if you're doing something like Crossy Road or an internet app that checks the employee phone list... That might be yeah. Anything small, or if you're doing your own app and you're you know you're not going to get fired or sued if you don't get it done on time. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, you know, you one thing. Longtime listeners of the show will know I have a pretty low risk tolerance um, in terms of that sort of thing. But I don't. You know, I still don't know why why Swift had to happen, other than the reasons it's good for Apple. You know, I've listened to all the arguments about how it's a quote better programming language than Objective C. It's certainly more convenient in some ways, um, but it is not. I don't think it's a super fair comparison. Yes, they're both programming languages, hmm. but it's to me, it's almost like Java to Scala. Sure, they're similar. Sure, you can write Scala like it's Java, but you know, it's a little unfair to Java to put up the equivalent Scala method and say it's shorter and so much simpler and you avoid this problem when they're really trying to do two different things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, and, and I'm, actually I'm working on a post about this. Swift is really not object-oriented. In fact, it's not, right? It's, uh, what is it, protocol-oriented, I think the word we're using for. And you can totally write OO-style Swift if you want to, and it's garbage. So it's really a shift and it's, I ha- I haven't, seen anything that convinces me that it had to happen for reasons other than Apple wanted it to happen. Um, there, there is no, I'll, this is the way you should think about it. This is the Cliff Notes version. There is nothing that I can write in Swift, there's nothing I think anybody can write in Swift that isn't possible in Objective-C. Huh. 
I'm reading right now about their uh, Swift Linux port. Yeah, that's the really interesting part. So it doesn't have the Odyssey runtime. Yeah. Um, it, it, I, I have not gotten to try it on Linux yet. It has a glibc module for most of the Linux C standards, uh, Linux C standard library. Uh, so one area that Swift might do well in is if somebody made like a Linux UI layer for it. So if you were doing a Macintosh app and a, and you could get some sort of cross-platform goodness to Linux, but again, or you know, it might, if it would make it easier to run Qt or GTK applications on both, or Mac it could be Linux. a language for Qt actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 open source. Uh, I don't know, Chris. I mean, what are your thoughts? You you know, you have the advantage of not um, kind of being screwed by this. Well, I think the Apache 2.0 licensing is an interesting yes. choice by Apple, yes. and I think it's one that's probably a good choice if they want to get big commercial companies to be touching well, it. It shows that they're serious, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, like I said, the genie's out of the bottle now. Uh, and uh, so there's that. And I think of projects like – I was thinking about it in the context of would open source – projects, established open source projects be willing to use something like this. And I look right. at the like the folks at like say elementary OS where they might be inclined to use something like Vala. Um and I wonder if maybe down the road this might not be you know if your target is the, the I'm not and I'm not trying to be derogatory towards elementary OS, but let's say your your target is sort of a hipstery type MacBook crowd that maybe are looking for something for an OS that doesn't feel like it constantly is being tugged around by a strategy tax. So you want to switch to Linux. Oh, damn. Yeah, yeah. You just want to get your work done and you don't care about their damn future strategy tax. And let's be honest, every single version of macOS for the last three releases has been terrible in some unique and yes, special way. Been, yeah, Snow Leopard would still be an improvement. Yeah, and, 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 the, and, and when you're in production and you're really pushing these systems and that's really all you use them for, it is extremely frustrating that uh, crap like iCloud Keychain and all this other crap is... I'm getting so mad, I'm throwing stuff away, is breaking stuff. And so you could see how people maybe would want to switch to something like elementary OS, which is still very nice and refined, based on a long-term supported version of Ubuntu. And if, you know, for future versions of elementary OS made it really easy to support things like Swift, and so you could right. just make that switch really easily, and, you know, you stack something on top of Swift, like you're saying, to actually be able to make a graphical application. Maybe oh, and actually, people will, right? I mean, within six months, we're going to have a whole bunch of companies wanting to sell you toolkits. Maybe we would actually see some interesting stuff being developed there. I mean, I I, uh, I was really, truly waiting to see if they made their 2015 deadline and what the license was going to be. And then I was going to make my decision. Um, I still don't – like, I still don't think any reasonable deployment will be would be running Swift on a server at this point. And, and that's just kind of my point, right? Like, totally cool to play with, but are yeah. you really going to ship this for a client? It depends on, on what, like, like what you said. It's what's, what's the use, what is that use case? Uh, and if it's not super critical or very important, then you could go with something like Swift too. But just looking at what's out there now, you can see major changes are coming. Right. I would also want to add, because people will email this, uh, Federici did say on one of his interviews that, you know, Objective-C is going to be around for decades. Yes. So, Great. But, but you know what? Now that this is now that this is Apache 2.0 licensed and op- out there on GitHub, they are almost not even comparable at all anymore because they're they're not. You know, like they like you you can't use Objective C now for the same things you could use Swift for. You can't do the same things to Objective C you can do to Swift now. Yeah, right? I'm still not. You see, this is the thing. I'm still not sold that Swift is ever going to be you know a go to server language. Right? I don't. Buy yeah, I'm, it. I'm there with you. I mean, unless your goal is to just know one programming language your entire career, and that's why you need Swift on the server. Like these guys who want JavaScript on the back end who are crazy. Um, 
I, I just don't buy it, right? Like, you know, Python exists, Ruby exists, Java exists. And and if you're worried about, you know, productivity, generate everything with Rails, really. <laughs> just scaffold your way to glory. There you go. There you go. You know, uh, Mike, while we're talking about backends and learning all this different stuff, Good time to mention our friends over at Linux Academy, a Touch great on. resource. But ding! Really, uh, you want to learn just about every technology that Mike just said, Linux Academy has fantastic courses. Self-paced courses, nearly 2,000 of them with videos and downloadable comprehensive study guides, audio you can take offline, seven-plus distributions you can choose to adjust the courseware and the virtual servers, and instructor help is available with all of those. All of the content, like the basics of Linux and managing the system to all the technology built around it, OpenStack and all the DevOps type stuff and AWS as well, which is a really great resource. They have scenario-based labs, which are really fantastic, really get you down in the middle of it. You'll work in their advanced lab environments and you'll compete scenarios from beginning to end on live servers. They have a brand new CDN that makes the the, uh, distribution of the content very snappy. Nice HTML5 player so you don't have to worry about Flash anymore. I think one of the nice things about Linux Academy is the way they've been able to integrate the instructor help and the people that create the content are really, truly passionate about the subject material. So Linux Academy focuses on this area specifically. They don't do like After Effects and Premiere and PHP and Linux administration and Windows Server administration and how to be a good motivational speaker. They don't do training on that stuff. Because they're focused and they're passionate about this, and that's why they created the Linux Academy platform. They have graded server exercises. You can get your work evaluated while connected to a real server, actually while you're doing the work, which is really cool. And it's all in every single membership. That's how it works at Linux Academy. The community is awesome. When you log in, you can see recent announcements about people that are kicking ass, and tons of them in the community are based right here in the Jupyter Broadcasting community. So you got local friends over at the Linux Academy community. So go to linuxacademy.com slash coders to support this show. linuxacademy.com slash coders. It gets you a savings, but really also, it's a great landing page to go there, let them know you appreciate them supporting the show, check them out, see if they're a good fit for you. Go learn about Android development, Ruby, Python, Amazon Web Services, PHP. I mean, the Red Hat courses are worth it alone, and the basics are incredible. Plus, those nuggets when you've got just a little bit of time to learn something and become a little more productive. It is a great resource and also looks great on a review or a resume. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Coder Radio a program. Thank you, guys. So, Mike, you've been noticing a trend. You've been tweeting about it mostly. And I, I wonder if uh, this next story doesn't perfectly ab- abstract out a huge symptom or cause, like, I don't know what you, however you want to phrase it, of uh, this trend you've been noticing. Dropbox... Is yes. shutting down Mailbox yes. and Carousel, and they're just shutting them down altogether. And I don't know if you remember, but they paid $100 million for Mailbox. $100 million, and they're just shutting it down after a little while. That's what we call wasting money. Um, not to totally segue away from this, but uh, speaking of wasting money, I got an iPad Pro over the weekend. Shut up! Shut up! No way! No way. Do we want to rag on Dropbox a little bit or should I No, I mean, up? I just wanted to, because I was, that was your point. I was going to let you make it. You're telling, because yeah. here's the thing, Mike, that is not a cheap rig. That is a, that is a serious rig. Oh, no, it is not. But just, just on the Dropbox thing real quick, um, sort of valuations are freaking out of control. This is not the last time I'm going to say it, but I don't want to go into it again because the last two weeks I was all up on it. But uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, they're, they're insane. 
Yeah, it is. No, and and, and, and it's, it, they have this kind of money and they can do this kind of stuff and then they can they can soak up the market and then they just go well, Go watch the movie startup.com if you've never seen it. I haven't. Oh, it, it is uh, uh, like a, a, I would even say C-level documentary, but it follows a startup called GovWorks during the first bubble in the late 90s, early 2000s. And they were getting all kinds of investment. Uh-huh. Oh, by the way, the the quote, outrageous valuation they had is like pocket change for today. I know. Yeah. I just want to throw it out there. Oh, I, I, rem- I, yeah, the yeah. numbers, I remember, I remember when we started hearing billions for the first time. I remember when billions were, were, right. were I was just like, wow, billions. Now it's normal. Like, I, I remember, I, I remember um, there's a scene in it where they, they, you know, they have like a CFO, finance guy, and he's telling the CEO and the CTO, and he, he's basically bitching at the CTO because their product blows compared to their competitors. And he's like, you know, I'm out there with this insane evaluation of X million dollars. I'm like, dude, <laughs> here, you would be crying today. You would be on the floor, fetal position. It's, um, it's, it, it's out of control. And it, we don't need to hammer this anymore. But really, please, anyone who thinks that we're not in a bubble, if maybe you're a little younger, go ahead and like go to your local library, get the newspapers like the Wall Street Journal from like, 2000, 1999, 2001, read the business section or Google it. I'm sure it's online. Um, it is the same crap. You know, I think one of the reasons why you and I started hitting this point more and more, uh, uh, we have we have emails um, like every week from high school students and college yeah. students yeah. that, you know, I don't know if they're just inexperienced D-bags or if it is just seeped down into the culture that startup life and I'm going to get a startup and I'm going to I'm going to get investment and it Well, we both have startups. <laughs> I've yeah. had two at yeah. this point. Yeah. I mean, at at some point the equation of how much money does it cost a month to run this business? How much money does it take in? What is an acceptable profit margin? Right. And when that is not a metric being used to value companies, you get insane shit like WhatsApp for how many million? Oh, I'm sorry, billion dollars. Yeah, billions. Yeah, or Instagram yeah. and all of the others. WhatsApp yeah, was it, the craziest, I believe. Or, or uh, Mailbox was pretty uh, pretty high up there too. What, what was the Mailbox? Was that a hundred million? You yeah, said? Uh, I yeah. think so. Let me see. Uh, it was yeah, hundred million dollars. <laughs> hundred million dollars, Mike. <laughs> hundred million dollars. I mean, I don't it mean to a- laugh at Dropbox, but now they're just shutting it down. You know, they're just turning it off. You kind of should laugh at Dropbox, and honestly, someone should get fired. Like, who the who approved that? I, I mean, they had a vision, right? They had a vision, and now they say then they go write your own goddamn email app. Go yeah. hire three developers, put them in a room. You know, it's insane. It is in many of these cases, it would be cheaper to clone these services to hire a freaking dev shop to do it for you than so, to actually buy them. So before we, okay, so you know, and you know the the WhatsApp blog or the WhatsApp the mailbox blog um, has a separate post about this. It's like with a heavy heart we announced this, but we realized there's just no fixing email, and so what we're going to do is we're going to try to improve the workflows. Who said that, it was broken? That cause email problems. Yeah, I know. That that was their... Okay, so, uh, Mike, before we go on, uh, do you have a guess as to the final sale cost of WhatsApp? Ooh. Um, 16 bill. Nope. Higher. Higher, Mike. Higher. 25. All right, here, final poll. Here, I'm going to tell you what it was. 
So uh, Facebook bought WhatsApp for $22 billion. Holy shit, dude. $22 billion. They they only had $10 million in revenue last year only uh, when they bought them, which this is right after Facebook had all that phony stock money. And I think a lot of it was probably in stock, not actual cash. Uh, Yeah, so it's funny money anyway. Yeah. But at the time of the sale... It was valued at $22 billion. That was $55 per user. $22 nice. billion. That proves your point right there, doesn't it? I mean, you know, what? Okay, so you bought an iPad Pro? Like, here's yeah, the thing. Speaking of wasting large sums of I, money. I, you know, so when a device like that comes out, I think to myself, uh, could this improve production? And I thought, maybe for remote podcasting, maybe. Yeah. But I just, I didn't, I didn't see the use case. If I drew, if I could use the, 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 the pencil, maybe, but. So can I can I walk you through my thought process? Lay it on me. I'm curious. So I have been resist. I bought it on an impulse at Best Buy. It's an gold. impulse. Yeah. So all right. <laughs> well, less of an impulse. I did intentionally go there to buy it. But let me. Let me I've been resisting and critical of the iPad Pro since it's come out. A couple weeks now, maybe a month. Uh, no, more than that. Since it was announced, I've been like, oh, it's just a bigger iPad. Blah blah blah. And then I had this ad, this idea that I want to work on. That's very iPad Pro specific. Hmm. And I'd be like, no, but that's silly because you're required to make it backwards compatible. And what are you going to do? Degrade all the functionality and blah, 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 blah. So I let it drop. Then I was watching the Avengers movie, the first one. Sure, sure. And I saw Pepper Potts with her little tablet running around running Stark Industries. And then I bought an iPad Pro. So, you know, okay. So two things about the iPad Pro that have crossed my mind. Go ahead. Uh, number one is uh, I don't have a television. Yes. And and so uh you know uh, but I use Plex and Envy for all and Netflix and YouTube for all of my video consumption. And so uh if or if I you know if I had a 12-inch screen that would actually be just about right for my living situation. Uh so that has crossed my mind because then it actually gets into the justifiable price range if I'm using it as a television. Uh and then the other thing that I've thought about and I'm not really sold on this yet. But I, I am here to tell you I am a bit of a broken man in that mm. it is almost 2016, and I have bought a laptop that has a high DPI screen. And I feel like I have paid such a price for that. So uh, the majority of my, G- my applications, because I prefer GTK applications, are fine on a high DPI. They have their pixel double. They look fine. A lot of applications, though, on, on the Linux desktop and on the Windows desktop, not that I use Windows, but in testing, I did confirm this, uh, look like crap. They're tiny. They're too small. You've got to blow them up or they, or they don't look right. But huge battery hit, uh, a huge gaming performance hit. I just am constantly like – I, I, I feel like now for my entire life of owning laptops, I've always had to compromise a little bit, usually because I don't – I want to. I, maybe I want to run Linux, or maybe because I want I want a super thin laptop with a Core i seven processor and a high DPI display. Yeah, know. super super reasonable request. Yeah, yeah, these things like that. And so, but I am just I am consistently let down. And I just thought maybe, maybe what I ought to do is just try to do the tablet thing, and just see if maybe I would just run off a tablet for a while when I'm when I'm not at work. When I'm working from home, maybe I just do the tablet thing. 
And, and I, I mean, and the iPad Pro would then start to make more sense in the context of, well, it would give me a television and it would give me a high DPI workspace that, you know, I really just want to write notes and, and, and watch video and browse the web and, and, you know, you write things in Markdown that doesn't look like shit. It just gets really frustrating. And so I thought maybe the iPad would be good there, but I wouldn't do it until I was ready to like replace my existing machine because the price point is so high and I'm not like, yeah, I mean, no, 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 go away. Hit it hard, baby. Hit it hard. It just, it, well, I just, that's it. I mean, it just feels like it's too, yeah. it, they, if they, if this was starting at six ninety nine, uh, maybe that would be more reasonable, but yeah. So early in the, in the show's history, way back when, when we were all, you know, young kids with, uh, toy wagons and horsies, we talked about how I was a reluctant Apple developer, right? I was pulled into it by an uncle who gave me an iPad. That first stupid iPad one is actually, I was doing a little Apple before that, but you know, really got into it. I had a dream of this being the tablet PC that you could do on complex software, that the iPad or some tablet would be the go-to computer for the vast majority of like office workers, business types. That hasn't happened. Uh, this, remember last year or the year before, I lost lots of money betting on the Surface uh, mm-hmm. Pro. Great. So in the you know, tradition of all crazy people. I'm repeating failure again with the iPad Pro. In the name of a tax write-off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Chris, at some level it doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> no, I know. But, you but, know, there, yeah. there, is, there is an element like I would rather, I would rather eat 70% of the cost of this just so I could not give that 20% in tax anymore. This line, no father. Uh, no. There is a story with that quote that I will not tell on the air. Um Maybe not yet. So I so, I wonder yeah. though, Mike. Uh, here is what gets me because because you know sure. I'm a guy that I I look at the specs right and I look at this and I go a couple of things jump out at me about this. Uh, it, it, it's it is crippled in traditional Apple ways that just don't make sense no. to me. Like yes, but not in the specs. See, yes, it's exactly what I want to talk. Why about. doesn't so, have why? I mean, fi- this the would specs be are fine. It would the be so. It would be so much use, more usable if it had an SD card slot. I know that's a weird thing, but I want to just give you a moment because there is actually a couple of interesting video editors and audio editors on the iPad, but they are all and they have to be built around the concept that that content was created via the iPad. Right. In reality, if I was going to do serious production on an iPad, I want to bring in an actual camera feed or I want to bring in an actual audio feed. And second best to getting like some sort of crazy ass lightning adapter, I would rather just be recorded to an SD card like the GoPro does, like all professional uh, hardware-based audio recorders do, and then just bring it in. So right here on the iPad, they are showing video editing right now on the Apple website that I'm showing on the screen. This is not a realistic opportunity if you have to record all of the content on the iPad itself or use some crazy-ass lightning okay. dongle. So that may be a problem for video editing people, right? Or but audio, is, or, and which, or is audio. A, which is honestly a, a very a big, big category market. now. Yeah, Right. There is a much larger problem or a series of larger problems that I'm hoping will be solved. Because if they aren't solved, this will be an $800 paperweight. Mm-hmm. One is they can't get a goddamn pencil in the state for some reason. Really? Yeah. You cannot buy one of these pencils. Yeah, the, the and you know the pencils are what a hundred bucks a pop. They're a hundred bucks, yeah. Oof. But 
And, right. and aren't they just aren't they just the thing you get a keyboard with it you get a pencil aren't you just you isn't that just a mouse not. and a keyboard now basically you do not get a keyboard or a pencil with no it. you have to buy them separately i know yeah okay so i have a list of things i'm concerned about with this device there i don't want to be overly negative i am very positive on where this could take computing really they're just copying microsoft but you know they're apple so people will pay attention um one, the economics of developing – so one, iPad Pro apps in my mind are not going to be – or not all going to be these straight consumption type apps that we've seen on um, you know, the iPad Classic or you know, iOS in general. They're going to be professional content creation apps, professional work apps. There's a big, big problem there though with the way Apple has structured their OS. There's a couple of things, right? One, inter-app communication is terrible. Uh, Apple takes 30%. That's terrible. The real problem, Chris, to continue development at a professional level on a professional quality piece of software mm-hmm. and never being able to make another dime off the user again yeah. is not possible. Yeah. you, you Well, there are different approaches. Like the TweetBot, people have TweetBot 1, 2, 3, and yeah. 4, and they make them as separate binaries. Yeah. I have an idea of how I could get around it in that purchases where it's basically a yearly purchase that is a Effectively a paid upgrade. You know that could work too. And I mean, look at how look at look at how predominant, persistent, and eva- uh, inv- I'm sorry, invasive uh, subscription type services are in enterprise. It is an yeah. assumed that it comes with a support subscription. Right. the The problem is one, and I, you know, I'm a little afraid to even say what my idea for the uh, getting around the rules are. Just that someone will try it and get rejected and be pissed off. So. I'll say it, but you know, if you you try it and you get slapped down by the Apple gods, don't don't cry to me. Why can't you every year have a new paid update that is just you know this new functionality with this and this and these changes, right? So any basic change in UI, you'd have to give all the users for free. Do you or, think? Do you think if the other app stores, like uh, like the Play Store? Or Microsoft uh, were more revenue. Uh, we generated more revenue for developers that maybe Apple would have to respond competitively. It's almost like because the App Store is sort of the place to go to make revenue. If you're making these types of apps, they don't have to. They don't. Well, have to. one, I would challenge that because I mean, you can again Google it, but not a lot of people are making much revenue other than right. You know, right. Really nasty game companies. Um, I I think the thing that's going to challenge their policy is the iPad Pro itself. It's that. The economics of developing a professional quality app, you know, you, you can't do it for $5, right? Right. You need to make and, – and you can't even do it for $100 once and support that user forever. It right. needs to be something like 100 bucks a year. Yeah. Which, by the way, by, you know, n- you know older standards is super cheap. Um, I – and this is kind of where I'm hesitating – you know, you're dealing in an ecosystem where the the gatekeeper can just say no because it's Tuesday and they want to say no, right? Um, where does it? At what point is the iPad Pro not totally crippled by the fact that no one can make money making professional grade software on it, unless they're doing some kind of weird cloud subscription, which, which is what you're suggesting? Have you tried the multitasking, like the side by side app stuff? How's that? It's actually not bad. Yeah. Uh, the, the problem hmm. is most people don't support it. Hmm. I don't know. You know, I so I did the I finally did. I have an iPad Air, I think. Right. It's like it's like 
it's not an Air 2. It's an older iPad. And I did the iOS 9 update, and uh, all of a sudden now I had this sidebar I could pull out, and a whole bunch of apps are listed there, including Chrome and a whole bunch of apps. Like, I was really surprised how many apps were listed there. Yeah. And uh, it, it works surprisingly well. I, I, well it's, not, it's not a full windowed interface, but uh, it's, like more like a, it's more like a, you know what, it, it reminds me of a tiled window manager under Linux. Ooh. It really does because you can – it automatically rearranges stuff and the, and the apps just sort of rearrange their UI and uh, it – I don't know. It just – it worked pretty well for me. Yeah, no. A lot of the new APIs, a lot of the new functionality on the Pro and even in iOS 9 are really compelling for, for more professional quality applications. Um, again, I just – you got to be able to make money off of how's the uh, How's the sound? You know, because I know it has those four speakers. Yeah, I haven't done much with the sound. Okay. I'd be curious to know because I, I you know, if it's going to be a TV, you know, yeah. My, I mean, one thing I will tell you that it is it is a lot bigger than it looks online. Yeah, I saw it. At, I think I saw it at Costco. Okay. So I've, I've held it, and it is. It basically just looks like a huge regular iPad. I mean, if you're carrying, and this is kind of my vision for it. If you're carrying an iPad Pro, that's probably all you're carrying, other than like your phone. Um. You know, in a world of uh, five-inch-plus phones and six-inch phones and, and larger, right. I guess a larger tablet makes sense. Um, hmm. So, uh, you know, one of the things, just a little bugaboo about it that just was kind of like, why did they go this way, is uh, I guess it has the old Touch ID sensor from the, like, the previous iPhones, not the Touch ID sensor that's nice and fast from the 6S. Margins. Yeah. Just, it's interesting how they just... Uh, I mean, all right. I, so I was really annoyed... You know that the pencil isn't in the damn box. Did you try the keyboard? No, they didn't have the keyboard either. So no, no pencil, no keyboard. Yeah, no the pencil, pencil. No, no one had the pencil. The pencil no should the absolutely come with it. Like, yeah, I, I understand not giving me the keyboard, right? But the pencil's like, like it's sitting on my desk, being golden because gold was the only color they had in the, the lowest end model. So <laughs> fabulous, um, <laughs> and it's like taunting me because. Right now, all it is is a giant freaking iPad, and yeah. I just I just want to like whip out you know Adobe's little Illustrator app and be like, all right, let me just see what this is going. So, uh, as a device, though, you find it to be pretty decent. I think it has a good shot. Could it be um, a laptop replacement? Yes, hmm. I think it could. But you're making so again. This is kind of the larger point I'm trying to make. I don't think there's anything in the hardware other than the fact that they don't give you the pencil or the keyboard for 800 bucks, by the way, which is eh, – that prevents you from being a laptop replacement. But the software, one iOS 9 or iOS in general, looks like you put you know, Fisher-Price OS on a, on a Dell XPS. Yeah, they're going to have to push – they're going to have to push the iOS forward more to, to – I mean it's – My dream that's not going to happen is that the iPad Pro becomes a different product line. Hmm. Where you don't have to care about backwards. As a that. as a Linux user, I was just wondering because it seems like if the the fantasy of maybe giving up on the laptop, Linux on my desktop, Linux on my servers, maybe even Linux on my phone, and then an iPad Pro when I can't get it done on my phone. So I, you know, my most recent trip, and I, it was kind of a big deal. You know, I, when I went to Colorado to visit System seventy six, I didn't bring a laptop ever, for the first time ever. I brought that iPad Air. Just in case. I never actually used it, but I brought it just in case I needed a keyboard because I have a Logitech keyboard for it. Right. Um, and I actually ended up using System76 machines instead. Anyways, uh, 
I, I thought, well, let's see if I can do it. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, Mike. I didn't. I ended up saying, eh, screw it. I want a laptop because I wanted to copy and paste. I wanted to go window to window. Yeah, that's I, the stuff. The interoperability stuff is where it's got its promise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, that's a software problem, right? That is a – Yeah. and here's the thing. The only thing holding that back is, is Apple policy. Well, and, and with the side-by-side apps and things like that, like really all I need is a markdown editor and a web browser, and I can do a lot of show research. I can yeah. get a lot of research done. Um, but it just I need, I need to be able to take data from one screen and put data in the other screen and see both screens at the same time. And, and maybe they could do that now. I didn't have iOS 9 on the iPad, so I didn't even bother. I just it, – it, Again, it is better, but it's not you – know, your workflow is going to hiccup once you need to cross – the stream, so to speak, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's not, it's not, it's not. The apps truly are sort of isolated from each other. At the right. end of the day, there's costs it's you silos. pay for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, exactly. I mean, at some point, again, not not to be a total '90s fanboy, but at some point, I'm hoping we get to more of like an open doc style model, where the document or the data you're working on becomes king rather than these weird little silos. And you know, if you're in a text document, you can just pipe that to you know byword or pipe it to vim or whatever right i'm just naming i can see the advantage of chromebooks though for this class of device now for me the reason why the ipad pro almost seemed possible is because well i would also serve as a television which is then the chromebook is not as appealing um but the chromebook you know doesn't have that siloed limitation it doesn't um but then you're using a chromebook that's true boom yeah, that's true. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, ultimately, could, I could get away with doing a lot of my work on the iPad Pro other than all of the development work. So, like half of it? Right. That's the thing. So, you know what you got to do, Mike? Is you got to uh, gotta just take on a challenge. Like, uh, when the new kid arrives, you should just, uh, you know, take a, take a week off from any development work and just see if you can work, or two weeks, or whatever it is. You just see if you can do all of, like, the maintaining you have to do just to make sure your business doesn't go dark via the iPad. So can I tell you a dirty little secret? Yeah, I'm ready. Most of what I do is already from like an either a Nexus Seven or an iPad in terms of like emails, spreadsheets, mm, yeah. all that stuff. I, I do all accounting in bed. We're <laughs> you know keeping the accounting spicy, if you know what I mean. Hey oh, credit, debit, cost overrun. Wow, <laughs> wow. Make sure everything's right. in the red. Ouch, no. Ouch. Avoid, Ooh. avoid. Oh, let's go somewhere. All else. those parentheses around those numbers are making me cry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I got. Don't forget to take advantage of Buccaneer Tech's uh, right. Black Friday promotion. Yeah. So is that still going on for a little bit? But where would I go it, if I wanted to do that? Buccaneer.io. Oh, it is that's going easy. on until December 31st. Then it's not. Nice. There you yep. go. Uh, okay. So we got one email to get to before we get out of here. Okay. Damn. So let's do it real quick. Here we go. Uh, Steve, Stefan, Stefan. I should probably get that one right. Stefan writes in. He says, uh, I work full time as a developer, but I've never really ventured into mobile development. I have an idea and motivation now to start my first mobile app. A couple episodes ago, you spoke highly of the, guess what, Ionic framework. I like this idea for more easily targeting iOS and Android devices. My question, though, is this. My first mobile app, would you recommend diving right into something like Ionic? Or are there nuances of mobile development that are important for my success that only or best can be learned through hard, native, low-level development? Your thoughts, Mike? Uh, if you have an actual project you need to do, do it, right? You don't, I, I don't believe that you need to you know, know every – I mean it helps. It would certainly help you. Must you must first snatch this walnut from my hand yeah. before you can I'm, develop. I'm, I'm not going to Mr. Miyagi you. Um, 
no, go for it. I mean, there, there's stuff that might seem weird, uh, particularly in the view lifecycle on iOS. That's going to yeah. just because you don't know how that works. But yeah, go with it anyway. yeah, and I think Mike nailed it. See, it's it depends. There's not there's not one answer because for some people they want to learn it all. They want to they want to absorb as much knowledge as possible before they make their first move because that is the only reasonable thing to do. And doing anything else would be risky. And then and then there's other people that say. I'm pretty sure I can learn on my feet, and I've got some motivation to actually put some rubber to the road right now. I'm going to go ahead, and I'm going to build this thing, and I'm going to ship it, and then I'm going to fill in the gaps as fast as possible because I know I can Google something or I can hire somebody, and I have confidence in myself to figure that out. Both are, are, are very valid approaches, and there's probably even more approaches than just that, but those are two really common approaches before you ship something. Well, and a lot of times, if you know, yeah. you can get really weighed down in what tool should I use. So I like, if you're ready, use if and something like Ionic looks appealing, ship. Well, it, it, it's basically you're asking – this is an argument about abstraction, right? Do I need – because really, what is Ionic doing? It's, it's abstracting away some of the platform-specific stuff. Right. So there – as with any abstraction, right, if you don't know the layer below it, of course there's going to be a case where you might duck and need to go desperately back or something. Um, it's a question, but that doesn't mean you should get – however, if you really stick with this and you keep developing mobile apps you know, for a year, year or two, it would probably – it makes sense for you to at least pick one of the platforms to learn, you know, in this abstraction, the layer underneath, which would be one of the native SDKs, right? Yeah. Whether it be Android or iOS, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Wow. I actually understood it. I don't know. Skype just got all crappy, but I actually managed to understand everything you said, and that was actually a really good point. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I'm, look at Skype. That's actually – it's kind of amazing that it pulled that through. Uh, all right. Yeah. So, uh, Stefan, good luck and thank you for sending in emails. Uh, I responded to a couple of you individually this week because uh, we uh, just couldn't fit it in. But do keep sending in your emails. We got a bunch last week and it was really nice uh, because it gives us a nice kind of selection to poke through yeah. and uh, we really appreciate that. So go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact to send yours in or go to coderadio.reddit.com and put it out there in front of everybody. So they can all see it. Mike, is there anything else we need to cover before we get out of here? Uh, no. I mean, I'm going to have some more stuff about uh, Swift next week, maybe, hopefully. Yeah. And maybe based on their uh, feedback, too, out there in that their community. Also, we'll have, a, we'll have a thread for 182 dedicated over at coderadio.reddit.com, which is a really awesome. good spot because I usually check that before we go on air. So it's a good way to get something in front of us. But, yeah. And don't forget, we do have uh, that uh, swag giveaway. Just find the uh, link in the show notes and be a successful Patreon subscriber over at patreon.com slash today. Don't forget to go check out buccaneertech.io for that Black Friday deal. And follow Just us Buccaneer on Twitter. Buccaneer IO. Buccaneer. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, you don't have both? I mean, come on, Mike. Oh, hang on. Shh. Nobody registered. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. And at Jupiter Signal is the, uh, the network feed for when we're live and things like that. You can check jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar as well for our live times. We'll be back for, I think, one more live one before the holidays at jblive.tv. So tune in for that next Monday. Bye, everybody.